You know, I want to live my life in such a way that brings glory to my Father in heaven, don't you? I mean, that should be the aspiration of the believer. When you wake up every morning, you should be programmed to think, I want to crucify my flesh today, and I want to live my life in such a manner that brings glory to my Father. Don't always do it, do we? But that's what we should do. I tell you, the enemy will do everything he can, even before you get out of bed, to start working on your mind to keep you off track. Today, I want to talk about what Jesus called the blessed servant. I want to be the blessed servant. And I'm going to explain why here as we walk through this for the next few minutes. But Jesus talked about a particular servant that would so please his father in heaven that one day God would actually serve the servant. I'm talking about a servant that, that, would, that God would be so happy about, so pleased with, that someday he would sit that servant down, bless them, and provide for them, and put that person in charge of everything that God has at his fingertips. You say, well, I've never heard about that before. Well, you're about to see it. Jesus talked about it, so it's not, it's my, it's not my word. These are Jesus' words. But that servant would have to be pretty responsible, wouldn't they? If God were to, to someday entrust the new earth. Now, I don't know. Here we go. We'll get off on something real quick here. I don't know if you knew this or not, but when you die, you're, you're, you're going to go, go be with the Lord. And you're, and you're going to get to spend a little bit of time in heaven. But I don't want to burst your bubble. You're not going to stay there forever. There's a new heavens, a new earth, and you're going to be living on the new earth. You say, well, I wanted to live in heaven. Well, you're going to get to go to heaven. You're going to be there for the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're going to be there for some other really neat things. But when it's all said and done, it all shakes out. The Father God and the angels will still live in heaven, and you and I are going to live on the new earth. And God is in the process of creating this new earth, and this new earth is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be better than it is right now, and someday... The blessed servant will be the ones who are ruling and reigning on this planet. Some of you are looking at me kind of funny now. You're like, man, you teach you some kind of new doctrine or something? Is this a cult? What is, what is this? I thought everybody dies and then they go to heaven and they get wings and they all become angels. Now you're the one that's messed up, not me. If that's what you thought, truly, if that's what you thought. You're never going to be an angel. Look at the person next to you and say, you are never going to be an angel. You're not now and you're not ever going to be. You're never going to be an angel. I'm thankful I'm never going to be an angel. You know why I'm thankful I'm never going to be an angel? Because I am going to be one of the redeemed. I am one of those who chose Christ and I'm one of those who's going to be blessed throughout all of eternity. And I am not just mindlessly worshiping God because it's what I was created to do. I am that person that was uniquely crafted with a choice to serve the Father who chose to do so and now will be blessed throughout all of eternity for having made that simple decision. I'm so thankful to be who I am today, aren't you? I want to be this blessed servant and how can I be? How, how am I going to be one of these people that 
Jesus talks about here in Luke 12. Look at this, Luke 12, verse 37. He said, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. I can guarantee this truth. He will change his clothes, make them sit down at the table and serve them. And they'll be blessed if he comes in the middle of the night or toward morning and finds them awake. Of course, you realize that if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let him break into this house. Be ready because the son of man will return when you least expect him. And Peter asked, Lord, did you use this illustration just for us, for everybody? And the Lord asked, who then is the faithful, skilled manager that the master will put in charge of giving the other servants their share of food at the right time? That servant will be blessed if his master finds him doing this job when he comes. And I can guarantee this, this truth. He will put that servant in charge of all of his property. So I, I wonder if you noticed those promises right there. The scripture right there says they will be sat down and served by God. Or I put they will be wonderfully provided for throughout eternity. That's what I think that means. And they will be put in charge of all of his property or else that means they'll be made rulers and those who reign over everything that God is currently setting up even as we speak. The question is now how do I become that blessed servant? And the answers to that are provided in the same text. If you look at this verses 37 through 44, it's going to lay out you three, for you three very simple things that if we will adhere to, will make us that blessed servant. It's very simple. It's not easy to do, but it's very simple. Does that make sense? It's real easy to understand. It's just not real easy to do. But Jesus makes this just as simple as he can for us. Because he so desperately desires for every single one of us to get this, to understand this, to grasp this. So we can live this. So I want you to get your pen and flip over the bulletin, take some notes or write in the side of the Bible. The blessed servant is going to be the one who right now is always, number one, awake. Look at that verse 37 through 39. It's saying right there that these are the people that are constantly on the watch. It means nothing gets by them. They're aware of their surroundings. They're aware of the enemy's ploys. You say, well, duh. Well, hang on a minute now. That gets harder and harder to accomplish with every generation that passes on this planet. Why? Because this generation, along with all those to come, are in the midst of of a subtle persecution. Now, you say, well, it's not subtle over in Syria and Turkey. No, it's not, it's not subtle there. And, and if the Lord Shatari is coming, someday it won't be here. But right now, the persecution is a subtle persecution of, uh, you're a Christian? Does that mean you are conservative? Does that mean that you... Don't think it's okay to throw away our unwanted babies? Does that mean that you think it's okay for Billy to have two mamas? Does that mean that you don't think it's okay for people 
to live together so they can try each other out before they get married? And when you say, no, I believe all of those things are wrong. Oh, so you're politically incorrect. You are that narrow-minded, uneducated, ignorant, unsophisticated, and uncaring person that has become the scurvy of this earth that someday us enlightened people will be able to quell to the corners and perhaps someday they'll just go away. In fact, some of those people are going to be glad when the rapture takes place because they'll finally be rid of us. They'll look around and say, did you notice all the dumb ones are gone? Have you noticed all the weirdos are gone? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus said, my father is looking for a blessed servant and that blessed servant is going to be the one who is always awake and he constantly is on the awareness for the ploy of the enemy. He is not blinded by politics. He's not blinded by New city ordinances. Somebody say amen. Sign a petition. Amen. Somebody sign up. You better. If you live in Fayetteville and you're a voting registered Fayetteville citizen, you better sign up. And the rest of us better pray, Rar, and push on you to sign up. What he's saying here is these are the ones that that are constantly watching for the wolves that would come in and attack the young and the inexperienced. But specifically in this context, here's what Jesus is saying. He's referring to servants that would be awake with the lights burning when the master came home. Now, hang on a minute. What are you talking about? In this passage, he is referring to a specific event that happened among that culture. It's different than ours. Today, when you attend a wedding, you're probably going to show up somewhere most of the time on a Saturday at 2 o'clock. That's kind of how it is. It's not always that way. Most of the time, it's going to be on Saturday at 2 o'clock. If you show up here this coming Saturday, you'll get to come to the wedding. Y'all stand up real quick. We'll come to your wedding this Saturday at 2 o'clock. Y'all can keep standing if you want, but you don't have to. And you show up and about an hour later, that part of it's over and you eat some cake. And then depending on your religious convictions, you have that first dance. You can't do that here at the church, but you could do it someplace else. And you'll have all this fun times and festivities and all, but it'll probably just last a couple hours and If somebody's watching your kids, you know, they're probably going to be watching the kids for a couple hours and you'll be home. But not back then. If the master went to the wedding, the wedding could be hours, perhaps even days long. And those that were in charge of taking care of the house while the master was gone did not know what time he'd be back because the culture was that the wedding could extend. It just depended on how long the wine lasted. And if Jesus wasn't there to change some more from water into, it might not go as long. 
But this thing could drag out for days. And so there's no way that they could know. And how blessed it was for the master of the house to come home and find a servant awake with the lights on so he wasn't trying to trip finding his way into the house. That's the context of this passage of Scripture. How blessed is that servant when the master comes in and he says, oh man, I'm so glad you're still up. I'm glad you got the lights on. I'm glad, how'd everything go? How's it go? Since I've been gone, what's been going on? And, and he says, well, you know what? We had this and this, but we took care of it. And we've been, you know, all, just go this high, big old conversation. Everything has happened since you were gone, but everything is good. We're on top of it. We're good. Now, do you need anything? No, no, I'm good. I'm fine. All right, well, master, then you go on to bed. We'll make sure the house is secured and then we'll turn everything off and we'll turn off the lights and lock all the doors and we'll all go to bed and the master says man i'm glad i got you i'm glad i got you instead of coming home and like where is that guy that i'm paying why is the lawn not mowed why are the lights off where is this guy you're starting to see the picture what will jesus find when he returns where is so-and-so where are they I gave them a job to do. I I put them in charge. I entrusted them with something. I told them what a blessing it was going to be. I thought they were on top of this deal. And here I am arriving. I don't even know where they are. What if Jesus comes on a Sunday morning and he walks in and he says, well, where's so and so? I mean, in this Sunday, in this Sunday, it's not like Sunday's the only day we could go to church, but I'm just using it as an example. He looks around. He says, where's so and so? We don't know. I mean. Hadn't seen them. We usually see them here about once every six, eight weeks. Usually Easter, Christmas. Ooh, this is some preaching, isn't it? I mean, have you noticed how we're just hitting all kinds of stuff this morning? When Jesus returns, will he find the blessed servant awake? Or will he find them asleep? I'm going to tell you something. The envelope is being pushed. It's being forced upon us. And some people that call themselves Christians are just sleeping through what's going on all around us. Becoming more and more desensitized. To the climate that is constantly changing for the worst. And if you want to be holy, and if you want to be pleasing to a holy God, you're going to have to stand against more and more that this generation calls normal. It's not going to get easier, guys. You're going to, get, you're going to become even more ostracized. You're, you're going to become looked at in even a more negative light. I'm convinced that that's a lot of what end-time prophecy is about. It, I'm convinced that a, a lot of what's going to happen to, to people in the end times is not going to be like the movies where that, you know, where that the, in the end of time that they were taking the mark and if they didn't have the 666 on their head, then they were, then they were dragging them out of their houses and cutting their heads off. I, I, I'm convinced more and more there's going to be a lot of persecution like that happening around the world. But for a lot of people, it's just going to be they were so irrelevant to culture that everybody's just going to turn their back on them and Christians are going to end up finding themselves in places where they starve to death because they can't buy food. They can't get help because they are beginning to be shown in such a, a negative light that they are literally going to become the scourge 
of the planet. And in that, by them holding to their standards, they're going to suffer persecution in that. And many of them will die of starvation and isolation and all kinds of terrible things. Why would you want to do that? Well, because the blessed servant is going to be worth it all. And I'll tell you, our youth, I'm so proud of y'all, but y'all need to really understand what the word says. Because the generation that you live in is even worse than mine. I mean, back in my day, there were, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. The Ecclesiastes tells us that. But back then, if folks didn't want to do right, at least they stayed quiet about it. In your generation, they're really loud and you have to accept it. You even got to get with it or else you're the weirdo. I'm just being real with you. When I was in high school, we, if we had people that were bisexual, we didn't know it. If we had, if we had people that were homosexual, they may, it may have been, but we didn't know it. In your generation, it's militantly forced upon you. And if you don't agree with that and succumb to that, then you're the, you're, you're the one that's weird. You're the one that's out there. And I'm telling you, it's going to be harder and harder as you get older. And I'm telling you, the generations that are under you, it's, I'm, I'm, I really, I, I hate to think what it's going to be like on this planet 50 to 60 years from now. Because you guys and the generation after you are going to see more persecution than what we're seeing. You're just going to and you're going to have to make up your mind that you're going to believe what the word of God says, not what MTV tells you. And not what even a teacher tells you. There's a teacher out in California who's upset and won't even let Chick-fil-A offer free food on campus because they think that Chick-fil-A has taken a stand for God and she wants her class and her school to be so diverse that, that, that she doesn't want anybody to think that their school would in any way identify with a godly company like Chick-fil-A. So she's banned them from the campus. Yet we're the ones that are politically incorrect we're the ones that won't have an open mind i tell you i got an open mind enough that i'll eat at chick-fil-a any place else that's offering it for free i've been to a couple places in fable i didn't know if it was a man or a woman or something in between that was making it but hey Well, you come here, it's your fault. Every week people get up and walk out. I'm telling you, they, do, they you know, it's amazing. Somebody told me several years ago, I said, I'm just amazed how big your church is getting because, you know, I can't believe anybody's staying put up with all that, you know. You have a standard uphold. Your generation is going to carry that torch as we pass it to you. And that's going to put you at odds with society's ways. And because of that, you're not going to be popular sometimes. And because of that, sometimes people are going to look down on you and they're going to talk bad about you. And my answer to that is, so what? Stand up and be counted, even if it costs you your popularity and position among your peers. Because someday, because of your stand for your master, he's going to say, good job, well done, good and faithful servant.
And I just want to point out something to everybody in this room. The scripture says that the blessed servant is going to rule and reign with Christ. But nobody have I seen in the Bible that's ruling and reigning with the devil in hell. It's just hell. And there are no levels of big dogs and little dogs in hell. They're all equally burning and screaming and crying and wishing that they had been politically incorrect. The blessed servant staying awake because he doesn't know when exactly when the master's coming home. You know, I, I, uh, I heard about a burglar who snuck into a house late at night. Everything was dark. In fact, the people that lived there were actually gone on vacation. He sneaks in with his little pin flashlight and he's shining around and he's trying to find valuables and he hears a voice in the dark say, Jesus is watching you. Freaked him out. He stops. You know, looking around, he takes his light and he shines it all around. He can't find anybody, so he starts back up. He goes through this process again for a few minutes and he hears Jesus is watching you. This time, I mean, he's diligently up and down and corners and all until he lands on a parrot on a stand. And he says, are you the one talking? And the parrot says, yes, I'm just trying to warn you. Who are you anyway? The parrot says, my name is Moses. He said, who names a parrot Moses? He said, the same people that name a Rottweiler Jesus. Jesus is watching you. He may not be a Rottweiler, but he's watching. And he said he wants you to stay awake. Number two, he said he wanted you to be ready. Verse 40. And ready there means to be prepared and adjusted so that you're not being caught off guard. And Jesus says right here that it's that 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 he is going to return at a time when everybody expects it least. Now, hang on a minute, though. Hang on a minute. Who's he talking about when they will not when they will expect it least? Who is he talking about? He's not talking about Christians. He's talking about. Unbelievers. What do you mean? Are you saying that we can know when Jesus is coming? Nope. We are not going to know the time, but Jesus himself makes sure in the word that we are able to identify the seasons. When he says, stay awake and stay ready because you don't know when the master is going to arrive. You may not know exactly, but the world don't think he's coming. He said, where is your God? He's been saying for 2,000 years he was going to show up. He hasn't shown up yet. I think it's just a fable. I think it's a myth. I don't believe your Bible. I don't even believe there is such a thing as the God that you call God. I don't believe all of this. Well, that person's pretty least expecting when the Son of Man is about to show up. But the church shouldn't be caught off guard because all throughout the Bible we are given prophecy after prophecy, which, by the way, we are seeing over and over being fulfilled in our own midst and in our own time. If you are not expecting Jesus to show up, where have you been? He tells you to be awake and he tells you to be ready. Get ready. 
you better be ready. It would be one thing for a person that doesn't even believe in God for them not to be ready. But how sad and foolish would it be for you who know God, who sit in the service and hear his word for you to deny the validity of the word and not to pay so to pay so little attention that he showed up and you were like, wow, that caught me off guard. It should not catch the church off guard that Jesus is coming soon. You'd have to be blind not to recognize the signs. God has given his children the keys to unlock the mystery. He tells us what to be looking for, to prepare for his coming. I'm not shocked by chip implants. I'm not shocked by wars and famines. I'm not shocked by attacks on Israel. I'm not shocked by hatred of disbelievers. I'm not shocked by persecution of the church all over the world and heading this way. That doesn't shock me. That doesn't surprise me. We've been taught to look for those very things. We are to expect those things. We expect his coming. We expect worse conditions. We expect the world to become a desperate place because Jesus told that us that that's what was going to happen. So we're ready. As a church, we don't have stockpiles of food and water and barbed wire around the facilities. We're not ever going to go to that extent. That's not the readiness I'm talking about. I'm talking about a readiness in my soul that says, I know that due to everything I'm seeing on the news and around me and in my own city, it can't be long. Jesus is coming to get me real soon. And I'm not going to be surprised. I'm not shocked. I just want to be ready. I want to be ready. Don't you want to be ready? You bearing with me for a couple more minutes? I'll let you go here in a minute. I want you to be ready. Like the barber who. Who. uh, He just had received Christ. He was so excited about his walk with the Lord. And he told God one morning when he got up, he said, I just want the whole world to be saved. And today I want to be ready. I, I, I want you to send somebody in my shop. In fact, the first person coming into my shop, I'm going to be ready to testify to them about your goodness and tell them about Jesus. And he said, I'm going to ask them if they're ready, if they're ready. And so the first person walked in and sat down. He said, what can I do for you? He said, I want to shave. He said, that's great. I'll be back in just a second. He went back to get his razor. He got his razor in one hand, got his Bible in the other. As he approached the man, he walked up to him and he said, are you ready to die? The word tells us to be ready. And the third thing he says, verses 41 through 44, he says we should be doing. What is this doing? Let me give you the definition. It means continuing without any delay. Executing, exercising, fulfilling, keeping, observing, performing. So this person, and by definition, is the one that's moving. They're accomplishing. They're working. They're achieving. They're, they're actively in the process of doing something. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 43. That servant will be blessed if his master finds him doing this job when he comes. God wants everybody to be doing. Somebody say amen. 
everybody's to be doing. Now, what are you doing? Now, I'm not talking about you trying to earn your salvation or trying to, 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 uh, to earn love uh, and to earn heaven by doing works. I'm talking about a blessed servant who loves God. They will be doing something. The only way I know to illustrate that is that Deb and I love each other. And so we do things for each other all the time. It's not out of the ordinary for us. We do things for each other because we love each other and we want to. Does that make sense? The person that really loves Jesus will want to be doing something beneficial for the kingdom of God. When he arrives, what is he going to catch you doing? I'm going to conclude. I know you're ready. I only have one conclusion today. So relax. You know, I can't help it, so i got to tell you one more story. There's a fellow that he's driving down the highway. He's doing 80 miles an hour. The police officer catches him, pulls him over, the lights, the siren, the whole works. He walks up to the side of the car, looks at the man, and he says, Sir, you're doing 80 in a 60. And he says, Oh, that's impossible. I never speed. His wife says, what are you talking about? You speed all the time. I was just telling you a few minutes ago, you need to slow down. The officer said, well, you didn't have your seatbelt on either. He said, I saw you trying to get it on when I was coming up the side of the car, but you didn't have. No, that's not true. He said, I always wear my seatbelt. She said, no, you don't. I told you before we left the house to put your seatbelt on. He said, woman. Would you just shut your trap one time? Would you just be quiet one time? And the officer says, does she talk to you like that all the time? She said, nope, just when he's drunk. So she's doing something. It's just not all that beneficial. And the church got... I mean, we get up and we say, we all need to be doing something. Well, that's an easy message to preach. The problem is everybody's doing something already. The, what we need to be saying is you need to be doing something beneficial. You're doing something. It's just that, that, that while some are so diligently working for the master in a positive way, there are others who are doing something for Jesus by talking bad about other folks and listing prayer requests and getting on Facebook and Lovingly lifting up other brothers and sisters behind their backs. They're doing something, aren't they? It's not all that beneficial, but they're doing something. Jesus said the blessed servant's the one that, that when my father, when he sends me back for the church, he's going to catch that servant doing something good. I want to get caught doing something good. I've spent my life getting caught doing things bad. Man, haven't you? Am I the only bad boy in this room? Wow. My poor mama spent more time in school than I did, I think. I would see her coming up the hallways. I'd say, Mama, what you doing here? She said, they call me again. I'm going to the office. What did you do? I don't know. I don't know. Was it like from early or was it from a little while ago? (laughs) 
what time did they call? Like, did they call this morning? Because there'd been like, you know, some instances since then. I'm not sure which one we're talking about here. I laughed at one of dad's grade cards. You know what it said on it? The teacher had written, Daryl is a bad boy. <laughs> Nobody ever got a grade card like that. It, it, I don't know that you could get one like that today. It might, it might hurt your feelings. But back, you know, back in the day when they could still say, when they could still tell the truth and, and actually, you know, I mean, I got enough of those whippings at school. It wasn't even a big deal anymore. I mean, I learned, I learned the method of how to take it. Where you look peripherally, you look out the side. When they swing, you do this. I mean, I mean, I, and you move, if you, you know, y'all listen, you don't have to do this anymore, but it worked. I mean, you move a little bit and then you step over about three inches and they will chase you all around the desk. But none of the licks hit just real firm. They, some of them get in there, but. I, for once in my life, would like to get caught doing something good. Jesus, what you doing here? I just came to tell you, I caught you. You were doing right. Really? I did something right. Isn't that a great aspiration to live up to? I want to live my life in such a way that I am awake and I'm ready and I'm doing Something good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for bringing us to this place to be able to hear it. I thank you for your promises. God, you, we have such great motivation to want to be those blessed servants. I thank you for the promises that those of us, God, that if we will, if we will commit ourselves to stay awake, to stay ready, to be doing that someday you're going to provide for us throughout eternity and we are going to rule and reign with Christ. What an awesome, awesome motivation. I pray, oh God, today that that will get in our spirit, get in our soul. That everybody here today will walk out of this room and we may not remember this word tomorrow or the week after, but the principles of it, let them find their place in fertile soil in our spirit. Let them begin to take root and grow. Let us be those people who are awake. When the enemy tries to throw us a curve, we realize, we recognize, because we know the word, so we know the truth, and we are awake, and we are ready, and we are doing something beneficial for your kingdom. I want you to just sit there for a moment, if you would, head bowed, eyes closed. Why don't you just meditate on this word for a minute, kind of walk through those. Ask God, am I awake? Have I become a little bit asleep? Have I become a little bit desensitized to some things? Are there some things that used to be sin that I no longer view the way I used to? Have I become a little bit desensitized to something in my life? If so, God, would you convict me of that all over again, fresh, just like you did before? I don't want to get used to my sin can't afford to get used to sin folks are you awake and secondly ask yourself am i ready if he shows up today am i ready or do i have to get ready real quick i mean what what's wrong I, 
what have I got going on that would cause me not to be ready get those things right and what are you doing ask yourself ask the spirit God am I doing what you want me to do am I actively pursuing you am I doing what you want am I am I benefiting the kingdom of God in a positive way just sit there for a minute pray about the pray through those three things and meditate on those but I want to take a moment while you're doing that and I want to give someone else an opportunity somebody in this room that would say you know what I'm, I've not been doing any of those things because I'm not living for Jesus. But I'm convicted. I'm, I, I, there's something I feel strange. There's something going on. I don't feel good about a lot of things. I really just want to get out of here. Well, that's the Holy Spirit's convicting you and drawing you to himself. He wants to change your life. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to, he wants to come into your heart and forgive you of all your sins and change you and make you a new person with a desire to serve God. If that's you, nobody's looking just me, but if that's you and you say, I need to, I need to give my life. I need to give control of my life to Jesus because I'm not doing very well with it on my own. I I need to surrender myself to Christ and I need to trust him and accept him as my savior and let him be the Lord of my life. I need some serious overhauling and change in my life. If that's you, lift your hand. I want to see who I'm talking to.